Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Cipher, also known as No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces on TikTok and Instagram. That is, again, No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. I finally started posting on my Instagram again. I'm grading every pick of the first round of the 2022 NFL Draft. I started today with Trayvon Walker. And for those of you that noticed, I did not post an episode of the podcast last week. That is because I had regions. And, you know, that that week I had a lot of them. So it was very difficult for me to get an episode out, even a short one. Trust me, I tried. And I just didn't really have the time to. I'm really sorry. With studying and everything, I just couldn't. I couldn't find a open time period in my life. And with that said, normally I would like try and post something later that night. Maybe I would start working on it at midnight. And then it would end up uploading around like 1 o'clock. Like that was very possible. And sometimes I would do that. But... There wasn't really much to talk about last week. So, although normally I would try and just get an episode out there just to have some content out, I didn't really think that it was worth it for last week. So, I hope that you guys understand. I hope that you're not, you know, too annoyed by the fact that I didn't upload last week. But now the summer officially started for my school. Now I could really, really just get on that grind. Uh, I could be posting on all of my social media platforms and the podcast. I'm hoping to get more guests on because this isn't necessarily an active time in the NFL season. So having a guest on is a very good way for me to get good content without talking about very boring things that aren't really, you know, new. I would just be going over general topics that, you know, don't really have to do with recent news because, let's be honest, for the next month or two, there isn't going to be real news, okay? So having guests on is just a very good way to still put out entertaining content without really having much to talk about. So I'm expecting this to be my last solo episode for at least four weeks, maybe five, six, seven. Uh, so let's make it a good one. It is going to be a short one because, again, there is not much to talk about. But, you know, there's still a decent amount of recent NFL news, so here you go. Let's start by talking about a rumor that started up last week with Baker Mayfield apparently being involved in trade talks with the Carolina Panthers. The Browns are attempting to trade him away to Carolina. Sam Darnold is reportedly not supposed to be part of that trade. And I want to talk about this from the Panthers' perspective. We know that Matt Rule is on the hot seat. We know. He's by far on the hottest seat out of any NFL coach right now. In order for him to keep his job, he is going to need. He's going to need to have a significantly better year than last year for the Panthers. That's what it's about because that that is what they're looking for. That is what Carolina is looking for at the moment. They are looking for improvement year by year. And Matt Rule, so far he has done that. I honestly do not have a strong opinion on Matt Rule right now. They could have fired him last year, and I wouldn't have really been bothered by it. They could have did what they did and just keep him 
I'm not bothered by that decision either. I don't really have a strong opinion because I don't really know. Much like I imagine the Panthers feel right now. They're not sure what to think of him, which is why they're giving him another year. But bringing Baker Mayfield in gives him a very, very legitimate shot. Listen, the Panthers had some hardships last year. I'm not going to deny it. You know, that offensive line was downright terrible. Joe Brady was only the offensive coordinator for, what, seven weeks? Eight weeks? Maybe nine? And then he got fired. So switching the offensive coordinator halfway through the year, never a good thing. And that's always going to be difficult for the quarterback. And just the entire offense as a whole. But I think we saw what we needed to see from Sam Darnold. The second, the exact second that Kristen McCaffrey got hurt, the entire offense fell apart. Entire offense fell apart. The entire team even fell apart. They were 4-0 to start the year. Then McCaffrey gets hurt. And they start losing a lot of games. And then they look very, very mediocre. That's not a coincidence. That offense was just feed McCaffrey the ball. I think bringing in a quarterback like Baker, they don't really have to handhold for the entire season. Definitely helps. Definitely helps. Because I honestly think like they could still win games with Baker without CMC. Sam Darnold's playing quarterback, they won't be able to win a lot of games without CMC. But with Baker there, you could have an offense that's still competent with DJ Moore as the main threat. With, I mean, Robbie Anderson what, it doesn't seem to be very good anymore. But with Terrence Marshall, he he's a young player. Maybe he could break out this year. We don't know. He has potential. He's a big guy. Very good red zone threat. Chuba Hubbard, he's a good running back, or at least a solid one for when McCaffrey's down. That offensive line should be better with Ike Aquano. Like, you look at that entire offense, they should be better. They should be, like, competent, even without CMC. Now, I'm not going to say that they should be great, but they should be, like, you know, maybe a little bit below average with that offense. But with Sam Darnold playing quarterback, it's hard for you to imagine that. With Matt Corral playing quarterback, it's hard for you to imagine that. You put Baker in there, and I'm like, yeah, you know, this offense could finish around 16th. And let's not forget how damn good the Panthers' defense can be. We saw early last year, the Panthers' defense looked like the best in football. They really did. Like, it was insane. What Brian Burns was able to do, you know, that entire scheme of a lot of blitzes while still in zone coverage, J.C. Horn was having a very good rookie year until he got hurt. Yeah, they lost Stephon Gilmore, but they were still a good defense before they got him. He's not really a necessity for the Panthers. For the Panthers, this entire season is just about whether or not Matt Rule can be their head coach of the future. That is all this is about. It's not about finding their future quarterback because, let's be honest, they trade for Baker Mayfield, he's probably just a placeholder. Probably. And then they're going to draft someone in a quarterback draft class that's supposedly supposed to be really good. Again, I wouldn't know because I haven't started scouting quarterbacks yet, 
but that's just what I've heard. I've heard that the quarterbacks in the upcoming draft class are going to be very good. So maybe the Panthers are targeting one of those guys. But I really think if they if they thought of Baker Mayfield as a long-term answer at quarterback, they would have traded for him earlier. Come on. They see him as a placeholder. That being said, he's a pretty damn good placeholder that can allow Matt Rule to keep his job. That is all this is about. Can the Panthers find some stability in their organization? I really like to hope Matt Rule can do that for them, but it's hard to tell without seeing how they do this upcoming season. Now, let's talk about a division rival of the Carolina Panthers, the New Orleans Saints. Another team that a lot of people would consider mediocre, but I would like to say this team can be much more than just mediocre. This team can be much more than that. Now, I get it. They lost Sean Payton. And yeah, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Sean Payton's offense is just wonderfully put together. And it has been a spectacle for me as a young NFL enjoyer, as a young NFL fan, to be able to watch this offense for my entire life. For as long as I can remember, Sean Payton has been the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And for as long as I can remember, the Saints offense, schematically, has been pulverizing to watch. Pulverizing with Drew Brees at the helm. And that's the big thing. Drew Brees isn't there anymore. But last year, I'm not going to lie, the offense, it could have been worse. It could have been much worse. You know, Jameis Winston didn't throw 30 picks this season. Although, yeah, he got hurt halfway through, but he, he didn't turn the ball over much. And even when Ian Book was playing and stuff like that, even despite all the like little things throughout the year, they were still a good football team. Now, they weren't great. I'm not going to act like the Saints were a great team, but they were solid. They were around the league average. And if you look at that roster, they probably shouldn't have been around the league average. With an Alvin Kamara who was severely, I mean severely, underperforming the resume that people expect and underperforming that bar that people expect from a big-name player like Alvin Kamara? I mean, severely. Now, yeah, he was still a great receiving back. I'm not denying that, but in terms of his ability to, you know, run the ball, he didn't do a good job. He did not. And, yeah, the offensive line didn't play overly well. I get that. The young players weren't playing up to their potential at all. But, you know, that's why they're young. And they had some injuries, you know. Despite all of that, all of the hardships that the Saints had in terms of their personnel and their players, it didn't really matter because they had Dennis Allen, the defensive coordinator, who's now the head coach, who I'm not very sure how he'll do as a head coach. But let me tell you, as a defensive coordinator, he was very, very, very good. And then, of course, Sean Payton, probably a Hall of Fame coach, downright phenomenal offensive mind, and really just overall football mind. But now, Sean Payton, this absolute mastermind, most likely Hall of Fame coach, he's gone. He's not part of the team anymore. Of course, I like Dennis Allen. I'm not sure how he'll do as a head coach. Like I said, 
but he was a very good defensive coordinator. And, you know, I have a little bit of confidence in him. But with that said, very, very difficult for me to imagine him filling the hole that Sean Payton has left on this team. Very difficult. Those are huge shoes to fill. And I don't have the confidence that Dennis Allen will be able to do it. But let's let's look at this roster, right? I think the Saints have one of the NFL's most underrated wide receiver cores. For those of you that listened to my pre-draft podcast, you would know. Chris Olave was my wide receiver one from the draft class. I love him. I love the guy. I think he's going to be a stud. Then they brought in Jarvis Landry, who I think he's going to be the third best receiver on the team because the guy who I didn't mention, who some people are forgetting how good he was, Michael Thomas. Yeah, you know, he's he's been dealing with an injury over the past two years. And you know, that hurts him. But let's not forget, the last time he was completely healthy for the entire season in 2019, this guy had the one of the best seasons for a wide receiver in NFL history. This guy was so good at one route that people genuinely thought that that was the only route he ran. Hence why he got the nickname Slant Boy. But people often forget that if that was truly the only route he ran, which it wasn't, but if it was, that means that he was so damn good at running that one single route that players would know that that's the route he's going to run, but he still beats them because he's so good at running that route. First off, that's not what happened. He's just a electric route runner, one of the best route runners in the league if he's able to bounce back from the injury and come back and be the same player. And then his route tree is huge too. Part of the reason that he had to keep running slants, or really it was just any in-breaking route, people were referring to it as slants, was because Drew Brees couldn't really throw much else. Drew Brees couldn't throw, you know, that deep ball on the sideline. He couldn't do that. At that point in his career, he couldn't. So Michael Thomas's route tree was restricted by Drew Brees' ability. Well, let me tell you, if Michael Thomas magically comes back and he's the same player he was in 2019... He's, he's the best receiver in the NFL. I'm very confident in that. 2019 Drew, sorry, 2019 Michael Thomas would be the best receiver in the NFL right now. Now, am I expecting him to do that? No, because he's been injured for the past two years, and it's been one injury. So, no, I'm not expecting him to come back and be the same player he was in 2019. I am still expecting him to be, like, a mid-tier wide receiver one. And that means Chris Olave is going to be seen as a wide receiver too by other teams. They'll guard him like the second option. So they'll have their second best corner guarding him. Chris Olave, I think, again, I said he was the best wide receiver in the draft class. And that's not because of what he will be able to do in the future. Although I think he'll be very even better in the future. But I, I think part of it is his ability to be an instant impact player, which he will. Chris Olave's speed and his ability to control his body while going at that incredible speed is absurd. Then he has good hands, good route running. I mean, he's just a phenomenal, overall phenomenal player. Love him. 
Pair him with Michael Thomas, who, again, was the best receiver in the league last time he was healthy for an entire season. And then Jarvis Landry's a good third option. You got the most underrated receiver core in the entire NFL. Now, their offensive line will be maybe a little bit worse than league average at worst. But you look at the young players on this offensive line, they're all like high upside guys. They're all big dudes, very strong. You just got to teach them a little bit more of the technique. You got Trevor Penning, who was probably the most physically dominant offensive lineman other than Iki Aquanu and Evan Neal in the draft class. Then you got Cesar Ruiz, who so far underwhelming NFL career, but the guy's strength and just size overall speaks for itself. And he got the same thing with Andreas Pete. Those are three young offensive tackles that have a really, really high ceiling. You just got to teach them a little bit more of the technique work. And yeah, they lost Teron Armstead, but like I said, they're bringing, they brought in Trevor Penning, who maybe he won't start right away, but they'll put him in later in the season when they think he's actually ready. And again, I think he is an incredibly overwhelming offensive tackle in terms of his strength and just his physical ability. This offensive line can be amazing, but right now it's about the average. It's about the league average. And then, of course, you got Alvin Kamara, who, yeah, he's coming off a little bit of an underwhelming season, but he's still a great running back. One down season isn't going to change that. And with everything I've said, you'd think that this offense is probably going to be, well, around the league average because everything about it, you know, is, is solid. It's all solid. Nothing spectacular, except that wide receiver core, which will be spectacular later in the year. Then you look at the quarterback. Ooh, this is where this is where I'm a little bit worried. Now, there are some Jameis Winston believers out there, and I'm not saying the guy should be benched, but I find it hard to expect him to play, you know, even as well as he did last year. Last year, I think he was like, he was all right. He was pretty good. He was a little bit worse than like Ryan Tannehill. He was worse than that tier. He was all right. But that was with Sean Payton. That was at his ceiling. I I really do think that. Or at, that is the best we've seen him play. And that was the best situation we've seen around him in terms of what he will get. Yeah, no, now he's going to have Michael Thomas in this very good receiver core that I just talked about. And his receivers were bad last year, but no Sean Payton. And while I do think this receiver core is very good, I think it's more important for a quarterback to have a good scheme and good coach to mentor them than it is for a quarterback to have good receivers around them. And I mean, this will be a test to that. This really will. But for me, a guy like Jameis Winston is more in need of a scheme that will teach him not to make those risks and not really require for him to make those risky throws because now you have a new coach calling the shots that isn't Sean Payton. I think that respect that Jameis Winston had for Sean Payton isn't going to be there for this new play caller, new play designer. So now he's going to try and do a little bit more of his own stuff. And we've seen with Tampa Bay what happens when Jameis Winston tries to do his own stuff. 
I love this receiver core, and I hope Jameis Winston proves me wrong, but I'm expecting him to have a worse year than last year because Sean Payton isn't there. But that's just the offensive side of the ball. I love this defense. It was very good last year, and Dennis Allen is still there, and he was the mastermind behind it that made it all work. In fact, it's even better this year. I really do think that. You got Cam Jordan and Demario Davis on the defensive front. Two guys that are very old, and you would expect them to regress, but they are yet to regress throughout their entire career. They have been phenomenal for their entire career. I'm not expecting that to slow down because it seems like a lot of what makes them good is their technique, and that doesn't go away with age. Your ability to execute those good techniques that you know, obviously, go away. Your ability to, you know, use your power-to-speed move that Cameron Jordan loves. Yeah, you know, that kind of goes away. Because, you know, your physical ability is draining. But we're really yet to see that affect Cameron Jordan and Demario Davis much at this point. Demario Davis is a very smart linebacker, and that's why his play style still holds up. Cameron Jordan, he doesn't rely too much on physical dominance, although he will just overpower you if he needs to. His technique is great, and that's why he's still in the league today. I mean, these guys are, what, both 34, 33 years old? But they're still two of the best players at their position. They're on the defensive front. Then you got younger guys also on the defensive front, like Pete Warner, like, you know, uh, Zach Bond. They got these younger defensive players surrounding the veterans. And that has worked out for them so far. But then the secondary is probably the most underrated secondary in the NFL with one of the best safety duos in the NFL with Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. Probably the second best behind the Bills, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. But you got the safety duo with Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. These are two really good coverage guys that will play you know, too high safety. And that's what Dennis Allen loves. He loves to have two safeties up high. And Marcus May and Tyron Matthew both specialize in that. And then, of course, you got Marshawn Lattimore playing corner. There's not really much else to say. This defense was dominant last year, and now I'm expecting them to dominate again. Overall, the Saints are going to be a very surprising team. They should be able to sneak into the playoffs, and hopefully they're able to. I think the main things that really hold them back are, first off, Buccaneers are in their division. I'm expecting them to beat them twice, but still, just because of how good the Buccaneers are, they're probably still going to win the division. So Saints are going to have to be fighting for a wild card spot. Luckily for them, the NFC is pretty weak. They shouldn't really have much contention for those wild card spots. And then things that hold them back in terms of how their team is built. I don't love Jameis Winston. And the offensive scheme is worrying. Really worrying. If Michael Thomas comes back and he's just not even close to who he was, like not even wide receiver one, maybe not even wide receiver two caliber, this offense is going to have some problems. Even though I love Olave, Michael Thomas is going to need to at least be close to what he used to be. Anyway, I'm going to go to a short break. When I come back, I'm going to talk about the Rob Gronkowski retirement and who I think the GOAT tight end is. Is it Rob Gronkowski? 
Maybe it's Travis Kelsey. A lot of people think that now. Maybe it's Tony Gonzalez. Maybe I think it's Antonio Gates. You're going to have to find out after this short break. And we are back. You're listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer. And when did this news break? Yesterday, two days ago, Rob Gronkowski officially broke the news that he is retiring from the NFL. A player that I've watched basically my entire life, winning Super Bowls, absolutely embarrassing other freak athletes. I mean, Gronk is an absolute man amongst boys. It was clear whenever he called a pass, he would break three tackles, stiff arm a dude, then, you know, truck one more guy. And then after all that, he would still have enough energy left in him to slam the ball against the ground to celebrate that touchdown that he just got while embarrassing several other grown men. What a lot of people forget about Rob Gronkowski is not just his, you know, physical feet and his amazing catches and all that. No. What people forget about Gronk is his IQ. He was extremely smart, and that shouldn't be surprising. But I just want to make it clear, that entire facade that Gronk tries to give off, the character that he plays of, oh, look at me, I'm the big stupid guy. Uh Yeah, no. That's not who Gronk is. That's a facade he puts on. That's not who he actually is. It's super clear. When he said, oh, oh, I don't watch film, look at me. uh, I'm dominating players and I don't even watch film like all of them do. They have to prepare all the time. I don't because I'm Gronk and I'm dumb and stupid. No, no. Let me tell you, that's a facade that he puts on. He is way smarter than that because if you want to play with Tom Brady and be one of Tom Brady's, if not Tom Brady's favorite target, you're, you got to be a smart guy. And Gronk, he was extremely smart. Extremely smart. He un- He understood, oh, this linebacker is covering me with this type of leverage, so I want to run this route in this specific way in order to offset his leverage. Gronk knew all that. Gronk knew all that. And he was a much smarter guy than the internet, and he tries to make it seem. He's a much smarter guy than that. He was, again, just an absolute demon, absolute mismatch whenever anyone was guarding him. There wasn't really a perfect matchup for him, right? You tried to put a safety on him because he's so fast to outrun linebackers. He's too strong for the safeties. In fact, he's too strong for some linebackers. Try to put a linebacker on him, like I just said. He's too fast. There wasn't a perfect match. There wasn't. Now, Gronk wasn't exactly the best route runner, okay? That's probably the one, you know, if you even want to say weak spot. If you had to pick a weak spot in this game, that was it. He wasn't the greatest route runner. But what he lacked in route running, he made up for with ridiculous downright, oh my God, it was amazing. His catch radius was huge. It was the entire field. You throw a ball within five yards of the dude, he'll catch it. He's a tight end, but he can jump like the the smallest wide receivers. He had the athleticism of a corner, and he was a tight end. Like it was insane. It was insane. The type of, like you, 
I feel bad. Like the next generation of NFL fans will not understand just how dominant Gronk is. Imagine if George Kittle had a wider catch radius and he was even better after the catch. That's what Gronk is. That's what prime Gronk was. His ability, I know I've said it a couple of times, but his ability to just absolutely embarrass opposing defenders, unheard of, unheard of. And let's not forget, this guy was a later pick. This guy wasn't this guy wasn't the number one overall pick. This guy wasn't even a first round pick. Classic Patriot fashion. Tell me if you heard this one before. The Patriots draft a player later on and make him one of the greatest players of all time. I just really want people to not forget Gronk. And I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. But it seems like he is being forgotten. It really does. Because I'm already hearing people say Kelsey is gonna or already is the greatest tight end of all time. And that I feel like that's insulting to Gronk. Insulting to Gronk. But who do I think is the greatest tight end of all time? I'll tell you this. Although I've been praising Gronk for the past five minutes, and as good as he was, I don't think that he was the greatest tight end of all time. I think he's the most talented. You will never find another tight end that could block like he can and then also catch the way he can. You will never. But for me, greatness, a large factor of that, a a large factor in what makes a great career is longevity for me. And the ability to stay on the field is very important. Now, Gronk had the most achievements for a tight end ever, without a doubt. With that said, Tony Gonzalez, I believe, is the greatest tight end of all time. Again, longevity is a big factor in this. Gronk played in 143 games in his career. Now, in those 143, in those 143 games, he was one of the best players on the field in almost all of them. But only 143 games, that's not many. Meanwhile, Tony Gonzalez, 270 games? Ooh, boy. That is more than 100 more than Gronk. That is 170 more. That is almost double. Sorry, 130 more. That is almost double the total amount of games that Gronk played in. And Gonzalez didn't just play in a lot of games and he was a stat merchant because of that. No. He was extremely consistent throughout his entire career. He was always, nearly every year in his entire career, he was an exceptional tight end. He was one of the best of the best tight ends in almost every year. Even at the age of 37, Gonzalez had eight touchdowns 859 yards and 83 receptions. At the age of 37? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Now, to put this into perspective, Gronk is 33 right now.
in his 17 seasons in the NFL, Gonzalez only finished below 700 yards three times. Two of those times were his first two seasons. And the other one was in 2010 when he was 34 years old. Let me just remind you, that's older than Gronk is right now. Gonzalez is one of the most consistent players in NFL history. You got Larry Fitzgerald, you got Tom Brady, and Gonzalez is right there after them. Like every single year of his career, other than the first two, and he wasn't necessarily bad the first two, he just wasn't the dominant, one of the best, if not the best tight end in the NFL all those years. Gonzalez was a good blocker, too. Like, that's an underrated aspect of his game. He was a very good blocker. His route running was amazing. His hands were phenomenal. And he was really good after the catch. He wasn't quite Gronk after the catch, and he wasn't quite Gronk blocking. And he didn't have, maybe he didn't have the catch radius of Gronk. Now, there are some things Gonzalez did better. He was a better route runner. But, yeah. Gronk, in terms of physical talent, is a better player. But that being said, Gronk is probably, in terms of physical talent, he's like, what, top five players ever in terms of physical talent? Like, doesn't get much better than that. The big difference is, though, although Gonzalez maybe wasn't as physically talented, he was able to stay on the field. Gronk could not stay on the field. I love him to death. I love Gronk to death. But he could not stay on the field. Gonzalez is very, very, very capable of staying on the field. If you look, he missed very few games throughout all, how many was it? 17 seasons of his career, I want to say. And again, this guy, he always had like above 500 yards. He, He was always just a valuable asset to his team even at 37. Tight ends putting up 859 yards and eight touchdowns at 37. That doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. But Gonzalez made it happen. Gonzalez, because of his longevity and because his impact, he was one of the, he was the first tight end to be like the guy for many years for his team. His impact, I, I don't think that there would be a Gronk if it weren't for Gonzalez. I don't think that there would be a Travis Kelsey if it weren't for Gonzalez. Yeah, I, I love, you know, Antonio Gates, and I, I love those guys. Yeah, I love Gronk too, but Gonzalez, just because of how long he did it, I consider him the best tight end of it. Anyway, thank you for listening to the Goal Line Podcast. I hope Gronk enjoys his retirement. And if you want more content, check out No Huddle NFL on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. If you check on Twitter, though, it is at No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces and an underscore at the end. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Come back next week. I'll most likely have a guest on.